I'm offering a sermon this morning on the topic of money. And I'm qualified to talk about money because I have money completely figured out. I do. That's why I'm not the executor of my parents' estate. My little sister got that job. (laughs) And I'm glad, too, because I don't really like money. Um, We're we're doing a series called uh, Principles, and we're considering just a very few uh, key parts of life. Um, Basic things, like, um, and it's not, these are not all parts of all of our lives, but some of them are parts of some of our lives, like marriage. We talked about marriage last week. We'll talk about parenting next week. We're going to talk about money a little bit today. Jesus instructs us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the description of full devotion to Jesus. This is what each of us is called to. This is clearly the depth and the breadth of devotion to which each of us is called. But many of us struggle to know how to live practically into that devotion, especially in different parts of our lives. We'd like to see all of our lives as integrated and whole, and to some large degree, we do. But there are there not parts of our lives that are just more challenging than others to really submit to the Lord? I mean, some of us have a really easy time in certain areas. It just seems very clear, very straightforward. We're resolved, it's settled, the issue's done. And it's God's, and we're devoted to Jesus in this area of our life. And then there's other areas of our lives. Sometimes they just, man, it keeps coming back to this. We keep arguing about this. I keep praying about this. This is the struggle, right? So it's worth considering what are some basic biblical principles that can shape the ways that Christians or should shape the ways that Christians live in certain parts of their lives. So last week we considered marriage. And I was careful to say, I am not an expert. I am in the trenches 27 years into marriage. And then next week, we'll talk about parenting. Again, I am not an expert. I am in the battle. I'm trying to faithfully represent Jesus to a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 13-year-old. I was thinking this morning, will it get harder than this? (laughs) 22, 20, and 13. I just feel like that's three different worlds. Um, And then today, we're going to talk about money. Um, ways that we might, as Christians, view and manage money differently because we are Christians. And I realize not everyone here maybe is a Christian, but we're considering it. That's why we're considering what does it look like to live for Jesus. For the record, I'm in the battle here too. I think I've got some big picture decisions settled when it comes to finances, but there's still challenges that crop up all the time in the area of, of money for us. So let me acknowledge that Talking about money in church is uncomfortable for some people. Um, And I acknowledge that. Maybe it's because a lot of churches put a lot of emphasis on money. Maybe it's because there's at least the trope that churches are always asking for money. Um, When we planted this church in 0405, there was a lot of content being communicated to me as a new church planter about what to do and what not to do as it related to talking about money in church. The reality is we don't talk about money in, in church here much. Um, today is our 933rd Sunday as a church community, and I bet we've talked about money less than seven times. In fact, I looked it up, and the last time I preached a sermon about money was more than four years ago. 
And I actually wondered when I discovered that if I should apologize for not talking about money more in the last four years, because I bet you have. (laughs) I bet you've talked about money in the last four years, and maybe you've experienced some conflict about money. Maybe you've had some arguments with the people that you live with about money. Uh, Maybe you've prayed, God, help me with money. Maybe you've had to make some decisions, and if asked why, you would say, well, it really came down to the money. Maybe you've even wondered, does Jesus have anything to do with my money? Does following Jesus have any kind of implications on the management of my money? So there's one impulse that says, man, don't ask about money, don't talk about money. And then there's the other that's like, money's just a part of real life, right? So yeah, we should talk about it. After all, Jesus talked about money, didn't he? Why does Jesus talk about money? Because it's a basic, practical element to everyday life, and Jesus came to reveal how humanity could be in relationship with God in everyday life. So, of course, he's going to talk about all kinds of elements of everyday life. When he talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about the kingdom of God in ways that used basic elements of real life, like raising animals and raising crops and relationships with your family and with the government and money, because that's just the stuff of real life. So he's not going to use all kinds of ethereal, hypothetical concepts to talk about the kingdom of God. Thank God, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God using really basic, practical, elemental things that we are engaged with all of the time, like money. So saying, um, sometimes um, Christians who teach about money, specifically about like money management, they, I hear this a lot. They'll start by saying Jesus talked more about money than anything else, which really isn't true. Um, <laughs> he, he, to say that he talked more about money than anything else sounds like money was Jesus's main focus. It sounds like money was part of his mission. It sounds like what he cared most about was, was money. And that's not true. If you read the teachings of Jesus, which, by the way, if you want to read the teachings of Jesus, that's in the first four books of the New Testament. There are parts. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the, this is the source material for the life and the teachings of Jesus. So these are four different biographies of Jesus told by three eyewitnesses and one person, who Luke, who interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses. When you read the Gospels, you read about the life and teachings of Jesus, you will quickly see that Jesus had several other things on his mind way more often than money like the welcoming of the outcast, like the healing of the sick, um, like restoring humanity's relationship with our creator that's been so devastated by sin. Um, The relationship's been so devastated by sin. So when you pay attention to what Jesus is actually talking about, it's, it's really not money. He's typically using money as just a common part of real life, one element of the stories that he's telling, and, and he's trying to make a clear point. Um, Jesus tells 39 or 40 stories, depending on how you count it, um, that, are, that are told in a, in a unique structure. It's called a parable. And these are stories that are supposed to sort of draw you in and then surprise you with, with something that like surprise your mind or surprise your heart with sort of the main point. Jesus tells a lot of parables that have to do with money, but really aren't about money. For instance... He tells a story about a man who owns, who owes so much money that he'll never be able to pay it back. It'll take more than a lifetime to pay back all of this money. And so 
the one to whom the money is owed says, you're going to have to sell your wife and your children to raise the money to pay me back. And this just devastates the man. He pleads for mercy. He pleads for forgiveness. And it's granted. His debt is totally forgiven, wiped clean, and he's set free. And so now he's walking down the road. This is Jesus telling the story. You know, you just tell, you just picture Jesus telling the story. And uh, he's free. 30 minutes ago, he was under like family destructive level debt. And now he's walking down the street and he sees somebody from high school or whatever that still owes him 20 bucks for that pizza. And he wants the money back and he demands the money back and the guy doesn't have it. So he starts choking his friend. It's ridiculous. It's like ridiculous storytelling. The point is not about the money, right? The, the, it's, the story is about money, but what's the point? It's about forgiveness, exactly, right? So this, the irony is this one who was just forgiven an unbelievable amount of debt is unwilling to forgive this person that owes him 20 bucks. In fact, Jesus tells the story in response to Peter asking the question, how many times should I forgive my brother? Right. So this is, how, this is how Jesus responds to that, by telling this, this story. Yeah, it involved money, but it's not really about money. It's about forgiveness. Does Jesus talk more about money than anything else? No. He talks more about a right relationship with God than anything else. And he uses real stuff like money to talk about a right relationship with God because a right relationship with God should influence real life and all parts of it, including money. Does following Jesus make a difference in the way we should manage or relate with our money? Absolutely. If you are actually following Jesus, if you're obeying Jesus, if you're doing what Jesus says to do and you're living according to the teachings of Jesus, then yes, Christianity makes a big difference in every part of your life, every day, every part. Does following Jesus make a difference in marriage? Yes, absolutely. Early Christians talk about marriage as though it is something actually really different than the marriage that they were seeing in the culture around them. Uh, it's primarily about holiness for the Christian, not primarily about happiness. So we talked about last week. Marriage is about so much more than the relationship between a husband and a wife. If you missed last week, I hope you listened to it. It's at Emmaus.Church. We record all of our sermons. Next week, we'll be talking about parenting. Does Christianity make, does following Jesus make a difference in the way we parent? It should, absolutely, yes. And then does following Jesus make a difference when it comes to money? Again, absolutely. Is Jesus really focused on money? No, he's not. There's a lot of things that matter more to Jesus than money. But here's the thing. When he does actually directly talk about money, we need to pay attention. Okay. Because what Jesus says about money is severe. It is direct. We need to pay attention to it. Jesus is teachings that are actually about money are like go home and reevaluate your life kinds of teachings. Yeah. Does Jesus talk a lot about money? Nope, not a lot. But when he does, pay attention because it's strong teaching. Here's a brief summary. You might, and you know, there's so much we could say today, and I'm going to try to keep this reasonably <laughs> brief. One way we could summarize the teachings of Jesus on money is to say that money reveals. Money reveals. Might be a good two-word summary of the teachings of Jesus on money. 
And more specifically, money reveals the true values of the heart. In perhaps his most famous teaching about money, Jesus says this. This is in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, those are like rats and stuff, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key line. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So is Jesus against savings accounts? Is Jesus speaking against wise investments? Thankfully, he continues, and he says something very clarifying a few sentences later. He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, is what he says. So Jesus seems to be calling people to value something more than material possessions and to therefore invest our time, our money, our resources in that which lasts beyond the temporal because that which lasts for the eternal is more valuable. And then it's like he anticipates our response, which is, well, can I invest in both? Right? Can I invest in the temporal and the eternal at the same time? And this is where he says, essentially, I think, yes, but you can't serve two masters. One has to take priority over the other. Can money really be a master? I mean, am I actually bowing down to, to money? It's, it's, it's not really. It's more that the way I use money reveals who's really in charge of my life. Is it God or is it me? Money reveals. Who is my Lord? My financial records will weigh in on that answer. They will reveal so I think that's a good way to summarize Jesus' teachings on money. Money uh, reveals what's true. Let's look at two stories from the life of Jesus. And these are not stories that Jesus tells. These aren't parables. These are things that actually happened in his life that were recorded as people watched him minister and move around. And both of these stories demonstrate that money reveals something about the heart of the person and the values of the heart of the person. The first story I'll tell you really quickly is from Luke 19. It's about a short dude named Zacchaeus, and he is the chief tax collector. And so that means he was a Jewish man collecting taxes from other Jewish people for the oppressive Roman government. And the way that he became wealthy was that he would, and so would his downline, right? He would collect more taxes than were required to turn into Rome. This is why tax collectors in the Gospels are wealthy, and this is why the tax collectors in the Gospels are despised by their uh, fellow brothers and sisters in their faith. Now, after Zacchaeus has this interaction with Jesus, he makes this statement. Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And immediately Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Now, how does Jesus know that? Well, Jesus knows. 
<laughs> he just knows. And then in addition, Zacchaeus' use of money reveals a dramatic change of heart. He's, he's different now. Something has changed in him now. Martin Luther, the reformer from the 16th century, he says this. He says there are really three conversions. There's the conversion of the mind. There's the conversion of the heart. And there's the conversion of the purse. That's what he says. So contrast the story of Zacchaeus with the story of a young man who comes to Jesus in Mark's gospel. This is a young man who falls at the feet of Jesus rather dramatically, asks the perfect question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus seems to know what's going on, but he plays along and he says, well, you obey all the commandments. In other words, live for God, serve God with your whole life. And his response, the young man's response is, I've done this ever since I was a kid. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And Mark writes, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now here's an interesting point. Both Zacchaeus and the young man are rich. Right? They're both rich. But for the young man, his wealth came first. Okay. And so his wealth became a barrier between himself and God. People say money is neutral. Mm, I'm not sure. Because when money becomes your first priority, it's not neutral. It's damning. How truly tragic when the temporary becomes a barrier to the eternal. This is tough stuff. It's tough to have a healthy relationship with money. It's difficult to have a healthy relationship with money. I hope you talk about why it is, if in fact it is in your case, this week in home groups or in your house. Jesus points out two reasons why a healthy relationship with money is difficult. First, we tend to worry a lot about money. We worry about not having enough money. Jesus compares worrying about money to thorns which choke out the word of God in our hearts. Second reason it's hard to have a healthy relationship with money is that prosperity is deceptive. How much is enough? Prosperity is deceptive. Jesus tells several stories which expose how financial prosperity can create a false sense of security, which actually ends up insulating us from our true needs. And we don't have time to go through all the examples, but this is the common theme. People get consumed with gaining wealth, and then they get consumed with protecting wealth, and in the process, they lose sight of what really matters. Think about the guy who tears down his barns to big, build bigger barns, and then it says that night his life's required of him. There's a passage in the end of the Bible, Revelation 3. This is the last book of the Bible, and the book starts essentially by this angel of the Lord delivering judgments on all these different churches. And to one church, this is the judgment. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, 
and naked. Wow. A whole church has become deceived by their wealth. You do not want to hear an angel of the Lord say that. You don't. I mean, I'm sort of, that's sort of silly the way I said that, but you don't. People often misquote Paul as saying, money is the root of all evil. Not what he says. It's not what he says. He writes to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. But that's the problem, isn't it? Prosperity is so deceptive. It's so easy, in other words, to fall in love with money or at least fall in love with the comforts and the pleasures that money affords. So what we primarily read from Jesus are warnings about money, frankly. It's deceptive. Uh, It's a source of unnecessary worry. The pursuit of money and the need to preserve it can master us, and you can't have more than one master. It's either God or money. So how, how do we combat that? How do we work toward a healthy and good relationship with money? Or to use a biblical phrase, how do we become good stewards? <clears throat> how do we become good stewards? That's the ideal. It's to be a good steward or a good money manager or resource manager. I'll share two quick points of theology and then two Christian practices, and we'll whip it all together and see if we can get a clear picture. Two doctrines or two beliefs that speaks significantly to the issue of money. First is this, God is creator. We believe, fundamental Christian doctrine, God is creator. God is the maker of all that is, including you, including your gifts, and including your abilities to make money. We are sometimes, uh, we sometimes refer to people as self-made. Have you heard that phrase? She's a self-made woman, he's a self-made man. No, they're not. They're not. Nobody's self-made. God makes. We don't. God is the maker. He made you. He gave you the raw materials. That's doctrine number one. God is creator. Secondly, God is sustainer. That Meaning that oxygen you're breathing right now, those lungs that are working in your chest, your heart still beating, those are gifts from God. He is actively sustaining you right now. Now let's be really clear on this. Ultimately, all that you have and all that you are are gifts from God who made you and sustains you. And I'm sure you went to school and you've worked hard and you've got great experiences and I know that you've sacrificed a lot and I know that you have all kinds of gifts and abilities and skills that have definitely resulted in affluence and I'm not taking anything away from any of that. I'm simply saying that none of that is possible unless God creates you and sustains you. So this is not in any way to disrespect the way you have cooperated with God to acquire resources and to manage them. It's just to acknowledge the bigger picture. So these two truths are the foundation. God is creator and sustainer. That's the foundation of two Christian practices for managing money. Let's put these together. They are gratitude and generosity. Gratitude and generosity. What difference does Jesus make in the way you manage your money? I think it's these two things. Gratitude and generosity. As Christians, our relationship with money should be characterized by gratitude and generosity. Constant gratitude is the practice that defeats the deception of wealth. 
Being thankful for what we have is what kicks entitlement out the door. You're not going to be easily deceived into thinking, I deserve this, while you're praying, thank you, God, for dinner. Thank you, God, for this house. Thank you, God, for this job. Thank you for what you have made and what you have given. Gratitude acknowledges that all I have is a gift from God. And then generosity is the obvious response to believing that all I have is a gift from God. In other words, gratitude expressed in action is generosity. Okay, this is important for me and for my kids to learn. Gratitude is not just saying thank you. That stops short. Gratitude is being generous. Gratitude in action is generosity. Gratitude matured is generosity. And this isn't my idea. Jesus makes this connection. The person, Jesus says, who is forgiven much, loves much. And that's his response. That's his explanation to critics for the remarkable generosity expressed by a woman who pours perfume worth a year's wages out on Jesus' feet or head as an offering. In other words, who is more generous, he's asking. The person who has a lot of money or the person who has a little bit of money? No, it doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money. The question is, who's more generous? The person who has a lot of gratitude or a little bit of gratitude? Oh, it's the person who has a lot of gratitude. The, the grateful person is the most generous person. If in my heart I believe that I am a self-made man, then I probably hold pretty tightly to what I have made. But if I believe that life is a gift that's given and sustained by God, I will be grateful and I will be generous and I will freely give to others. My life will be characterized by generosity. If I'm occasionally grateful, I will be occasionally generous. I'll be like the guy who drops $1,000 at a pie fundraiser on a piece of cheesecake and gets a big rise from the crowd. But you know what's so much more inspiring than that to me? There are high school students in this church community who work jobs after school and consistently tithe. They consistently share their resources. They give way more than $1,000 in a year to this church. That's impressive to me. That's inspiring to me. My point is not the amount given. My point is the intentional, consistent expression of gratitude that takes the form of generosity that's regular and consistent. By the way, this idea of giving a tenth of your income, which is where the word tithe comes from, it comes from the Hebrew. It's a, it's a Hebrew concept. It's a, it's a concept we get from the Jewish scriptures. My son is doing these little side jobs. He's making money for like the first time in his life. And I heard this conversation <laughs> between him and Carmen. Well, it's, you made this much money, so remember, you got to set aside your tithe, that'll be this much. And he's like, no, it's this much. And she says, no, I think it's this much. And he's like, well, dad says a tithe is 5%. (laughs) She said, I don't think that's what he said. (laughs) Tithe, tenth, tithe, tenth. 
Um, and that, if anything, um, establishes the minimum bar for followers of Christ because Jesus never refers to a specific percentage, to my knowledge, that's required. But whenever Jesus does talk about a specific amount, it's, it's big. It's like half, or it's the first, or it's all she had in the case of the widow's might. What we want to hear at the end of our lives when it comes to our management of our resources, friends, is you are a good steward. That's what we want to hear. Meaning we recognized we've been given and entrusted um, by God some resources to be used or stewarded for the glory of God. I just close with a quick comment about offerings in the Bible this idea of giving out of gratitude. That's what an offering is. Giving out of gratitude. The offerings that we, and this is the most primal basic version. The Old Testament, we're talking about offerings were this, were almost always domesticated animals. Sheep, goats, cows. Jesus' parents are poor. They give doves or maybe grain, something from, offering was understood to be appropriately given to God if the offering was the best you had or the most perfect in the case of an animal. The point is that what is given to God comes from your resources and is the best of your resources. That seems to be the most essential primal point. And it's not a requirement like a tax, it's a gift. And so a worshiper brings a gift. A worshiper brings an offering. And by giving that gift, they are participating. They're an active participant, a hands-on participant in worship. We're not involved in a kind of worship in which we stand back, like maybe in the nosebleed section, and watch the worship happening down on the court. That's not, no, we're, we are invited to engage in worship, hands-on, right? Participating in, with all that we are and with all that we have. The Hebrew word used to label a gift given to God is this word korban, which literally means a thing brought near. Today we've asked, what difference does following Jesus make when it comes to money? And what I've tried to say is, if I believe that God is my creator and my sustainer, I will be grateful and I will be generous and I can actually manage, steward, relate to my money in such a way that is korban. So that instead of my money being a barrier between me and God, my money actually becomes something that draws me nearer to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.